You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. All right, well, thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast today. Here in the studio today with me, I have the great... Susan and Bruce Wesley. There you go. I, I did it. The great um, Susan. I agree with that. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, and and guys, today we're. I know we're in a season of celebration. We ha- are celebrating thirty years of Clear Creek Community Church. Woo! Yeah. yeah. Hard to believe. And so Bruce is lead pastor. Just initially, thirty years. What does that feel like? You know, it's uh, surprising, I guess, because it you just keep showing up every day, and then one day you get there, and. Uh, so it, it feels great. Um, I'm so honored to get to be a part of it and love the people around me. So it's great. Yeah. How about for yeah. you, Susan, from you? 30 years. Yeah, I know. That makes me just feel a little old, I guess, <laughs> but, but mostly just grateful when I think about it. And it's like what he said, you just show up every day and that's the Lord's faithfulness and grace and mercy to us. Yep. Yeah. Has it felt like, uh, I know like raising a child, you know, they always say like, yes. oh, it's going to fly by, it's going to fly by. Has it seemed or has it felt like it's flown by? Uh, yeah, for me, it, it does feel like it's flown by. Yes. I mean, it, it doesn't seem possible that it's been 30 years. Uh, you know, I said to you early before we started that I've been looking at pictures from the last five years yeah. uh, for some stuff first that we're getting years. ready for. Sorry, yeah, the first five years of the church. And uh, it was shocking about how young everyone looked, how young I looked, and how long ago that was. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's very surprising, but um, it, it time flies. Yes. Yeah. So early on, the early days, let's kind of go back to the beginning. What what do you remember it being like in League City and that initial call to, hey, we, we should start something here and what that's going to look like? What do you guys remember about that season? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, our kids were three, five, and seven. So, yeah, they were young and um, at Ferguson Elementary, and that's where we met. And so it felt very small and intimate. But um, I think when I think back on those days, we had such a an excitement and a can-do attitude that the whole team of people that made church happen um, every Sunday were, were really sold out to being a place for their friends that didn't know Jesus. And um, so there was, there was just this excitement of, and you know, we were, we were a pretty small group. It was pretty small. How many, when you say small, to help give context? Oh, yeah, we were just talking. I, the core team w- with us was 10 couples, so 20 adults. And then when we came, uh, the Cardins and the Pinners came. So there were 24 adults and their families. And how long was core team a core team before it was launched? Yeah, funny. It's uh, t- these days. It, that's probably a twelve to eighteen month season. For us, it was ten weeks. Oh, wow. I mean, literally, we had ten weeks. I, I saw a letter that I wrote today before we ever started, and uh, inviting people to come to get to meet them and to talk about this church, and <laughs> said we will start our public service in ten weeks. Uh, you know. I just think those days were fun. They were just really fun. And you, you know me, Ted. I mean, I'm, I'm a serious-minded person now. Susan would tell you I was more serious-minded then. I'm kind of mellowed through the years or whatever. But um, if you think about how fun it was for me, for any normal person, it would have been just an absolute <laughs> blast. You know? Yeah. Any normal person. Yeah. So how about, like, you know, we talk sometimes about, like, you know, a cultural moment or, like, what was going like? Well, why start a church? Yeah, the... 
I think that's a great question because uh, every church starts for a reason, you know, and it, it might be someone's ego. That's a reason. But in the day that we were in, in, you know, 1993, League City was 40,000 people. It had a small town feel. Um, but the church in general, not just League City, the church in general in America, it was kind of still this, uh, it was your grandmother's church, you know, it was your grandfather's church, and it didn't seem like it was really relevant. And so the knock on the local church was, it uh, it's irrelevant. And so what we really hoped to do was um, to start a church that was more relevant to the lives of people. Not saying that what happened before that was bad, but we needed to pay attention to why people said, you know, I don't go to church anymore because it, it's not relevant to my life. And uh, so I think that we gave a lot of energy to saying, okay, we're going to gather as a church, but we hope that every time we gather, people take away something that they can live with every single day and not just uh, in eternity. Yeah. I also know just, you know, some of even, you know, the, the idea of a friend of sinners and a church for the unchurch, a place where, you know, we're, we're removing barriers. Susan, yes. can you speak to any of that a little bit? What you remember about that? Yes. I mean, not that that was something that was. I think we still are, but yeah, absolutely, that felt like something that was maybe new or at least um, something that was a differentiator. Right. No doubt. So um, probably a defining moment for me, and I think Bruce too, is the church that we moved came from uh, was a church that celebrated 50 years while we were there. And a lot of wonderful people there, but we um, we experienced an environment that would have made it difficult to bring our lost friends to. And we began to realize that if we invited our next door neighbors, they would walk in and they would think, this is odd. And this, I don't understand this. And um, so when we talk about relevance, we're, we're trying to really put ourselves into the place of somebody that we know that doesn't know Jesus. And if they walk into an environment and could they understand what we're saying, could it be something that they can somehow relate to so that we can share the gospel? Yeah, because and, Susan and I came to faith in Jesus, both of us out of non-churched homes. And so in a sense, you know, we, we were starting a church to try to reach our unreached self, if you will, or uh, the people that we love, that we we made different assumptions than than church people made about folks who didn't have faith in Jesus, you know, and we laugh about how sometimes we hear pastors making assumptions and kind of preaching at people who didn't have faith in Jesus, and it's like, hey, I was raised in that home, and that's not what it's like at all, um, and so we, for us, it was like, we feel like we under we felt like we understood what it was like to be in a home uh, in a culture where people don't trust in Jesus and so we wanted to bring Jesus to people like that yeah and so maybe early on in the early days what what was it that was setting you guys apart was it from other churches maybe in the area? Was it that you were meeting in a school? Were there a lot of other churches that were doing that at that time? Uh, there were some, um, but n- not a not a ton. But I, I'll let you throw out some things, and um, I'll, I'll fill in the blanks. Well, I mean, one of the things that was, I think, that differentiated Clear Creek in those early days. I mean, we're we're meeting at a school. When you talk to somebody that you just tell them you're meeting at a school, they kind of look at you with a side eye, and they're like, "That's suspicious," you know. And so there was a lot of I felt like the suspicion, and then. You know, we, we really tried to focus on having parties. I mean, I know that, and you know, this was 
these weren't tame parties, really, but we had a lot of fun. We, we started out having a lot of parties to the extent that we began to be labeled the party church in our community. And, you know, um, I'm sure that some people were offended by that, but, you know, um, early on, I remember we did a lot of things that we would never do today. Some of it is cringy, but, um, you know, yeah. Well, like what? Yeah, I was okay, saying, you okay. can't, you can't, I'm not going to let right, you get off that so, easy. Well, honestly, when I think about those early days, um, Greg Pinner dressed up like the church lady on our, he was the church lady on our stage from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> you would never see that today, right? So yeah, come to church with me where we have a guy dressed in drag. You <laughs> so, <know>? yeah. <laughs> so we made fun of ourselves. We made fun of some of the things that, that were culturally Christian that, you know, yeah. So we we wanted to make fun of ourselves before everybody else did. So. Yeah, and the, and the other things that that were happening in our time of gathering for worship is the music was really upbeat and contemporary, and this was in a season of worship wars. You know, these yeah. days there are culture wars, and those days there really were churches that were splitting over, you know, what kind of music was being played in the church, and yeah. we were decidedly contemporary in our services. We did. Uh, we did dramas, little skits, plays, whatever you want to call them, uh, in in our services. <clears throat> there was a season where we had people who danced. Oh yes, I was it was a short season. We we repented quickly, but <laughs> um, there there was a season for that. And so uh, in the early days, it was kind of the wild wild west. And when yeah. you say dance, is that like dancing as <laughs> a part of the wanna, service? Yeah, these were <laughs> these were uh, people who were trained as professional ballet dancers. Okay, and they kind of came from a uh, a background where it was tasteful, yeah. but it got weird. Yeah. And so we said, no, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. But you, you ask what set us apart, we did some yeah. weird stuff. Yeah, we were, we were a little risky. <laughs> yeah. And how about some of the, the obstacles or things that you uh, maybe faced that you had to overcome, whether that was, you know, uh, capacity, you know, growth things or, I mean, just trying yeah. to get an idea of what were some of the maybe obstacles as you look back that were things that were growth area or things that you, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'll start that. I mean, I'll let Susan can talk more about suspicion if she wants because that's definitely an obstacle we had to overcome. But uh, anytime you start something new, you're going from zero to one. Anytime you start something new, no one really knows what to do. And so you have to develop a culture, you know. So I remember um, pretty early in the life of the church, we uh, had a death, and one of our core team members passed away. And it was clear that as a church, we did not know how to respond well. You know, I'd pastored another church, and they had all their systems in place where if someone died, there were tons of people who kind of, they knew exactly what to do to care for the family and to prepare for the funeral and take care of food and that kind of thing, and we didn't have any of that. And I just use that as an illustration to say, really, everything that we did as a church, we had to we had to do it in a way where we said, now we know what to do. We're yeah. developing these systems, and everyone knows their role in the overall systems of the church. And that's really tiring because nothing happens by itself. So it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And, I mean, definitely that. And I think um, for me personally, there's just there's some grief in growth. You know, there's a time when 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 you're all together and everybody knows each other really well, and then you start to grow, and the dynamics of all that changes. So, and that's still true today. You know, yeah. there's there's just growth is great. Everybody likes it when it's up and to the right, but there's also some grief associated with that. 
Yeah, and you talked, Ted, about buildings and things like that. Man, we were so far away from anything that resembled a building that we would own. Yeah. Uh, we were just trying to find some space to meet in. And so we were in schools for eight and a half years prior to moving into our very first building. And <clears throat> in that season, though, we knew that we had to start preparing for a day when we would have to buy land and try to build our own space. And it felt like that's never going to happen. It felt like, oh, my goodness, how would we ever do that? Because, you know, we we were just getting by, put it that way. As a church, we were just getting by. And even though the church was growing, but what happens, you know, sometimes is the church grows in people, but it really doesn't grow in people who are giving because new people don't typically give. And so we didn't have the resources to to build, and it, it took a long time. Well, what changed in that? Like, what was some of the? Because I think now we would say, and even hearing some of the later, I mean, we have a, a very generous uh, church, and um, you know, so what, what, what were, was there? Some certain things that happened that were catalytic. Was it a result of just we're going to pray for God's provision, and He just showed up through faithful givers, or? I think all of the above. You know, we we did what churches do. We taught what the Bible teaches about generosity and about God's being generous to us, and we. Um, asked people to participate in giving in the church, and then we did some some giving campaigns as we prepared to buy land for the very first time. And, you know, when people are kind of bought in and they they want this church to keep going, uh, and we say, we need X amount of money in order to put a down payment on some land, um, and that people responded uh, yeah. to that. And we, we grew into, you know, what we needed as a church, but just I'm, I'm saying in the earliest days, yeah, it was. I remember we we lost uh, three of our uh, most generous givers in one month, and it was really uh, a kick in the gut. You know, when we started thinking, okay, are we going to have to stop doing some things in the in the church um, because of of that uh, setback? But the Lord provided. I mean, it wasn't long till we just said, "God's good; He's going to provide." We'll just you know, keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. So how about any fun stories as you look back and maybe some of it's, you know, again, like in the, the early, early years or even later on of whether it's, uh, you know, maybe it's God's provision or just a funny story or just great memories, things you'll always cherish or uh, hold dear. We got a lot of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember uh, we were doing a baptism service at Ferguson and Ronnie Ferguson Gwen, Elementary School. Ferguson Elementary and Ronnie Gwynn was leading that baptism team and we get there it was a cold January is what I remember morning and there was no hot water. And you know this speaks to this can do mentality of well we're we're doing baptism. We're you know we're not going to not do this. And so he um he literally he lived close to the school and he went home and boiled water and brought it in coolers to Ferguson Elementary to warm up that water so people could be baptized. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is not the story I thought you were going to tell. I thought you were going to tell about when <laughs> Ronnie was backstage. And at Ferguson, it was a low stage, if you've ever been in that cafeteria, cafetorium. Uh, and the, the curtain was closed, and, and the baptistry was behind it. But what happened when he closed the curtain is the lights would go out behind the curtain, and it the baptistry overflowed. Well, we had electrical cords running everywhere back there. And water came down the steps in the front. So oh people are sitting there, and it's like this, <laughs> like this cascade of water coming yeah. down. Yeah. 
Church people scary. in churches always have funny <laughs> baptism stories, yes, but do. for us, that, that was a, a really scary that story. Is, yeah. You know, I remember running terrifying. back there saying, "There's water running out the front. There's electrical <laughs> cords everywhere. You know, someone's going to get hurt." And uh, nothing, nothing happened, fortunately. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, another one of those. Uh, so this is just a funny story. So at Ferguson Elementary School, we. Um, on the cafeteria, you know, in the cafeteria, somebody's singing and they're singing a big song because we did a whole lot of kind of cover songs in yeah. early days and stuff. And uh, he's singing, all the power goes out. And so, in the middle of the song, the power goes out. Well, unfortunately, the the janitor wasn't anywhere close who had the keys to get us into the closet that could get us into the power box to flip the switch, uh, the the breaker. And so a few of us, we start running down the hallways of the school trying to find this this custodian. And finally, he gets us over there. And I'm not exaggerating. He finally gets the, you know, he's fumbling with his keys. He finally gets the door open. We finally get to the box. He, we flip the, the breaker. And power comes back on right as the song finishes. And so it's like it just... It was almost like it was planned that way. <laughs> it was just one of those wild moments. I thought, we couldn't have done that had we tried to do that, you know. How about like any ministries? Were there things that we started that we did that we don't do now that were kind of like, I mean, maybe they ran a course, so it was good. I'm just trying to think nostalgic. Oh, man, we oh. used to do this. We used to do that. or Yeah, we used to do small groups that were around anything and everything you can imagine. So, um a fishing small group, a gardening small group. I mean, dinner clubs. Yeah, yeah. It was just a really all about getting people together around. We call them affinity small groups. They're always, yeah. you know, affinity driven. Um, that was one of the things. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've always tried to keep it really simple. Let's let's do really let, let's focus on children's ministry, student ministry, gathering for worship, do small groups. Try to keep it simple. And so in the early days, we, we weren't adding a lot of ministries. Now, we might have been trying some crazy stuff in those ministries, but we weren't yeah. adding yeah. a lot of ministries. I know Lisa, I've heard Lisa tell the story of the kid in the locker who got shot. Oh, Susan can the, tell you that story. That's yeah, her no, story. That, no, that's no, your no, story. No, that's not my story. My story was the one that when Mark Carden and I were in the um, Pee Wees watching the kids and we lost one. And there's a whole story about this child I won't tell, but. He ended up on the stage with Bruce as he was preaching. <laughs> so I remember this is in uh, the intermediate school, and I'm standing there preaching. And, of course, you can tell when you're looking at a group of people that all of them are looking to my the side yeah. of me. And so I look to where everyone's looking, and there's a little toddler standing there looking <laughs> up at me. And I'm like, oh, you're lost. Where, yeah, where are the people I, that are supposed <laughs> to be watching you? Yes. They're fired now. Yeah. 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 That, <laughs> and, and now we have a security team. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Now we keep, have a security team. Keep the kids team. in. Way different place today. Yeah, but the greatest stories, Ted, are just the stories of life change. I mean, yeah. there are just so many stories. Um, and, you know, I, I say frequently when I'm working with church planners, of all the stories that you're ever going to tell, it's just the stories of life change that make this worth it to do what we do, um, because that's what we're doing, right? We're just trying to bring the gospel to people and know that God heals, He uh, restores brokenness, mm-hmm. He changes hearts. Really, I mean, there are just so many stories of people to say, if you knew me when, mm-hmm. you would not recognize me, but Jesus changed everything in my life. And so... Those are the, the greatest stories of our life. Mm-hmm. Do you have any in particular that stand out? You know, um, when Clear Creek first started, one of the things that we did was mailers. 
um, that was, we did mailers to the community. And I, I didn't like that. Um, but <clears throat> because I felt like we needed, people needed to come by personal invitation. Yeah. Um, but there was a woman that got the mailer for the first service and came. Her name was Lisa Fiore. And Lisa, the Lord got a hold of Lisa's life, and she became a follower of Christ. And Lisa also really embraced the mission of Clear Creek and began to invite her friends that don't know Jesus. And I mean, there are people here today that are here because of Lisa Fiore. And um, but I, I loved that she she immediately jumped in and and didn't just, you know, she really saw the gospel, you know, in her and through her to others. And that was beautiful to watch. Yeah, Lisa uh, probably had a gift of evangelism, and she was a, she was into weightlifting and bodybuilding and kind of into that culture, and so wanted us to invite this bodybuilder to come share his testimony and said, I will get people here. Well, she went to every gym within, you know, yeah, 30-minute drive, and... Uh, Posted all the posters, invited them to come, and sure enough, I mean, it was a, it was the biggest day we'd ever had mm-hmm. as a church, and I don't know how many of those people came to faith in Jesus, but I think the spirit with which Lisa did that caught on in our church, and mm-hmm. tons of people came to faith in Jesus because people said, you know what, God can use what I'm interested in to help me reach people uh, for Him, and so I'd say that's one of those stories. Some of the stories that are the ones that we tell most often are, are the ones that the people who were part of them ended up as leaders. So, you know, when Vijay and Sonia Rajaji came to faith in Jesus, it was because, you know, a person in the church lived next to them yeah. and sat in a car with them and invited them into their life and shared Christ with them over a long period of time for them to come to faith in Jesus. You know, Carl Garcia, you know, owned a restaurant in the area. And, uh, and by the way, I should say, you know, Vijay's now an elder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonia's on the staff with our children's ministry, and uh, and so we tell those kinds of stories often because people know the, those people. They they see them regularly. And same thing with Carl Garcia, who is uh, you know one of our pastors at at the Clear Lake campus. He's the the campus pastor. But when we met Carl, he owned a restaurant and was not a Christian. Um, and God just did this great work in his life. And so those kinds of stories are the stories that that say people's, they're, not only is their life changed, um, but their life cha- changes people around them. Their yeah. whole family's traje- trajectory uh, has changed. So those mm-hmm. are some of the great stories. And then there's the, the stories of, well, like the story of us buying our land. And uh, it's one of my favorite stories because, you know, we always wondered how in the world are we going to do this? And so even the land that our Egret Bay campus is on today, which was our only campus at that time, um, when we went to meet with the guy who owned the land, um, John Wilkins and I went to meet with him, and John uh, began to tell this guy who owned the land how how many benefits he could get if he would donate at least part of the land or maybe even all the land. And uh, this guy was not happy that John was talking about this. And so um, he said, in the, I mean, we had known him three minutes. And he said, I am not going to give you anything. You can count on that. And then he got angry and ultimately just said, y'all need to leave. I'm not going to do any business with you. And uh, so, okay, great. 
So and then we left, and uh, weeks later, I get a phone call, and it's this same guy. He's called me, and he said, um, you know, you know what that the land we talked about, what you originally offered on it, they, they said, uh, I'll take that deal. So when we closed on this land, it's 69 acres of land, he, uh, he slipped a gift letter in front of me as I was signing documents for the land, and I had to sign this gift letter as a part of the process. And he said to me, he said, do you remember the first thing that I said to you? And I said, yes, sir, I do. I called his name, uh, Jeremy Davis. And he said, um, I guess some things change. It was a gift letter for $5.7 million. Mm. So I look back at that and I just think, wow, the, just the, the faithfulness of God. And, you, you know, you, people see Clear Creek today and it's really a, a number of those unexplainable gifts from God that have allowed us to become the church we are. Yeah. I don't want to regress a little bit because that's, that's pretty inspiring. I've heard that a few times each time. I'm like, oh, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so awesome. But I, I know, it, you know, there were seasons where it wasn't always up and to the right, where I'm sure even as you guys, as a couple, a young family, you know, I don't know what how the staff necessarily grew over time. I'm assuming, Bruce, you were carrying a lot of the the, the, the weight in the early days. But what, what was that like, raising a young family, being on mission, feeling like, you know, this, you know, you feel like, man, this is what God's called us to do. This is what we're giving our life for. But it, it can still be hard. And so I'm just curious yeah. in that season, what, what was that like? What What maybe words of encouragement do you have from that season for people that maybe either entering that now or maybe one day might find themselves yeah. in that place. You know, um, <clears throat> we did have a, a pretty good core group, you know, that was um, walked with us. But when Mark and Lisa Carden came, you know, they were here for a short time and then they moved to Louisiana and that was pretty gut-wrenching. And then, but then they, they came back because Bruce, we call it the indecent proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, where he asked Mark to come on staff. And so, you know, that, that really changed everything in many ways for us because it felt like, you know, th- their kids were our kids' age. Our kids, they were our, they're a family, you know. And so um, that really changed a lot of things for, for us in terms of, you know, the, the way in which we could approach this and do this work. Um, and, but God has been so faithful to bring people in and, you know, we have had certainly our family, and I know a lot of people have heard our, a lot of our story about that. We've had some really difficult seasons, but, um, you know, this is God's church and his family, and they people have been supportive and, and cared, with, cared for us through really difficult seasons. And, yeah, and Ted, the truth is, I mean, we could tell you stories of times that were really hard seasons, um, but even in the hardest seasons, and this is not a Pollyanna statement, I mean, even in the hardest seasons— I think of it like, you know, it's the tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, and uh, even if it was the worst of times, the best of times was we, we did have people around us that we, we knew they loved us and they were walking with us. Um, we had, you know, this is part of the beauty of church. We had a real community around us. And so, you know, in the early days, finances were really hard. Uh, raising our kids was challenging because we were the new people and we're starting a church, which is weird. I mean, you know, they're, these kids that our kids know, their parents are like, they don't know what to do with us because 
how many people do you know moved into a town and they're going to start a church? Mm-hmm. And so people would ask us really odd questions or they would make, uh, you know, based on their religious background, they would make assumptions about us. And, um, and you know, I, I just think that's part of the package. You just learn to deal with that and try to get to know people, let them know you and, and overcome some of that. Um, the busyness is probably the greatest challenge. So just like when, you know, people who are listening started businesses and they remember those unbelievably intense seasons of starting businesses. So when we started Clear Creek, um, by itself, it was extremely busy, but I was also doing my doctorate at that time. We had children, seven, five, and three. And so it was, it was super, super busy. And so, I mean, <laughs> we set aside tea nights, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they said, we're going to be home on tea nights. Most every other night of the week, I would probably be out at least part of that time in the earliest days of our church. But um, our kids, I think, look back at that, and they seem to have fond yeah. <laughs> fond memories of, of that season. Yeah. Yeah, and some of that is, you know, knowing a little bit uh, of the context here, and so maybe this leads into this next question, this idea of, like, you know, it wasn't just you guys. You mentioned the Cardins. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to, I guess, just the the value, the importance of uh, when you're on mission, the importance of doing it with people, doing it in community, and, you know, even, again, whether it's the impact on you guys, relationally, your ability externally, your kids, your family, just all those things. What, yeah. what kind of impact or what? why is that important? Yeah. I I mean, I think it is the most important, the only way that you can sustain this. And um, this is the, the, this is where we remind ourselves that we are brothers and sisters and we are, this is God's church. And even though Bruce has a role of, you know, he is the pastor or, you know, a leader, um, it doesn't exempt him from being a part of the community. And so a lot of times leaders can, can exempt them, you know, they can stand back as if, like, I, I can't, I'm not allowed to be a part of that. And we can't, we can't, you can't do that because you're not going to sustain the the journey if you do that. Yeah, leadership is isolating enough without doing that. I mean, even if you're in, in community, um, and man, if you tr- withdraw or, or think you're, you're different, you're special, you're somehow to be treated uh, with a different set of responsibilities, um, that's just, there's just no way that you can be healthy. So, no kidding. I I don't think that can be overstated. That having people in your life who love you and you love them and you know each other, and that doesn't mean it's always going to be smooth and you know cheery every single day. I mean, good friends have difficult moments. You know, I mean, um, but the Lord, by His grace, has given us an amazing staff, and it not just in the early days, but I mean, to today. Yeah, all the way to today, and it's it's hard to explain that uh, to people sometimes because not everyone has the same experience in the churches where they serve. But um, for us, I would say that God's um, God's work in our life and the community He put around us was you know uh, the two things that sustained us. Yeah, and I think our our children—they're um, not children anymore, yeah. you know—but I mean uh, they benefited from that and you know while they might they can acknowledge some of the hard things they would absolutely say that it is one of the best parts of their life 
I mean, that they, that they got to be a part of it. Our, our youngest daughter is married to a pastor, and she, she talks often about how she wants to give her kids the upbringing she had. And she said her daughter will ask oft, often, who's coming over tonight? Who's coming over tonight? And she said, you know, she goes to sleep most nights hearing adults in her home laughing and sharing their lives. And she said, that doesn't get any better than that, you know? No. And so, you know, I see that happening with your generation and some of the younger people that are at Clear Creek, I mean, in diff- at different camp, all really every campus. And I'm just, it makes me so happy to see these young adults that are raising their children together on mission for Jesus here. So When we moved here, I was 32, and I guess you were 30. 30. And uh, so there were a, a lot of adults that were friends of ours that were, you know, eight years older than us, whatever. And when I look back, they took such good care of us. And I don't even know that I recognized it at that time. But, you know, we were we were not as mature. We needed some coaching every now and then. They were so generous to us. They would allow us to, to go places with them or if they had a vacation home, let us use it or something like that. And, uh, you know, when I look back at that, I thought, oh, wow, this was incredible provision for us because... Um, things were really, really tight in in the first years uh, of the church. And so, I mean, to the point that we didn't know how we were going to sustain living in the community. And uh, and yet the Lord provided in every way, both emotionally, relationally, financially, all those ways. So I think God obviously has some big plans ahead of us as we mm-hmm. celebrate 30, look back, but as we look forward. And so I'm curious do you have any final thoughts as you kind of look ahead, what you're hope, most hopeful for or uh, what you're most encouraged by? Or, Well, um, you know, we're, we're talking about being that we're a people of hope. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've, I've often, you know, because of our backgrounds, not being raised in church and not being raised to know Jesus, um, uh, I know that God gave me hope, you know, when I was 16 years old, and and that that compelling invitation still is being extended today in a community that feels like it doesn't have a lot of hope, and so the message isn't different, and people need hope, and so I'm excited to think about us being a people of hope in this community, because I know there's a lot of people that need it. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's very similar. I mean, I, I think today, now 30 years later, the real vision for the kind of community we are is not different. It's not different than it was before we started Clear Creek. I mean, literally, um, our all of our guys would tell you, I mean, what I want to see is a church that really loves the people in a community, not because they think the way we do or have had the same religious perspective that we have, uh, we love people, and we bring the gospel of Jesus to people. That's part of it. Uh, that the church sees itself as a community, and it's not like this, you know, top-down kind of tiered thing. It's it's more this family of brothers and sisters who all have gifts, all have unique callings from God, who are a part of His mission in the world. Those are um, passion points for me. That when we started Clear Creek, I, that's what I would talk about, you know, and. Um, and that we would be people who who live surrendered lives and make sacrifices because that's the only way that we really do bring the gospel, you know, to people over time. 
And uh, so all of that kind of plays into this vision of being a people of hope so that we are, you know, casting a million times this, this hope of Jesus, that we get to see people on foreign soil in the name of Jesus, a thousand people on foreign soil, you know, a hundred percent engagement in the mission of the church. And so, you know, when I talk about people's gifts being used and we're in community together, all that's part of that engagement picture. And then seeing churches multiplied, you know, uh, from the very beginning, uh, we, we said, we want to be a multiplying church. And so to have this vision of doing 10 churches or campuses over the next five years is part of the vision that is more than 30 years old. Uh, and we know that the one, the you know, the the last point, if you will, of the vision is that we are surrendered people, that the, we trust the Lord, we surrender to Him, and it's in that surrender that, that the degree of surrender really determines the measure of hope mm-hmm. in a person's life, and that's the hope that we can can bring to other people. So I don't just take that as an opportunity to cast vision, although it is. Uh, that genuinely is the the motivating factor in my life, and I think I want to give the next five years of my life to that. I, I want to see us as a as a congregation do that. Um, so I wake up in the morning excited about what we're doing. Yeah. What I'm just curious on that because when I, when I hear that said, and I've, we've, we've had, we've done some things recently as we prepare for this, where that's not the first time I've heard you talk about a million thousand, hundred, ten, and one for, for the, the people that might be listening, the people that maybe heard this on Sunday, their, their heart starts to beat a little faster. They, their, their hair starts to stick mm-hmm. up. If you what would you say to those people? I would say you ought to just say, thank you, God, that you put something in my heart to care deeply about this. Because it's that, it's that sense of conviction that keeps us in, um, you know, what I would say is keeps us in the game of the things that matter most in life. I mean, we, we are all inclined to chase after things that aren't going to matter five minutes after we die. Mm-hmm. But when we start having a value set that only comes from God so that it moves us when we think about uh, impacting people's lives and impacting eternity, then we ought to just thank God for that, and we ought to step into it, right? Because mm-hmm. this is the moment I move toward that. And when we step into it, it, it cultivates that desire, that mm-hmm. passion, and... Uh, you know, recently I've been with some people and they're just telling stories of both God's work in their life and God's work in the lives of people in their life as they, you know, cast hope to them. And I just think, you got it. I mean, you get it. You, mm-hmm. you get the the joy that is the overflow of being a part of um, a mission, a purpose greater than ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's good. I, I'm excited about what's to come. I'm grateful for the both of you, how you... Uh, not only lead us now, but the example that you set. And I'm grateful for sitting down and taking the time to just chit-chat about the last 30 years and what's to come. So well, thank, thank you, Ted. Yeah, thank you for being I'm here. very grateful.